Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. On the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community, I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Jacob Boston. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, first, Mark Dunley brings us coverage on a rally for a package of immigrant rights bills that took place at the state capitol on January 23rd. Then, Lavender speaks with Juan Pantaleon, about the murder of his gay co- of his gay cousin. Later on, Andrea Cunliffe talks with Carlos Sprague, whose work is currently installed at Opalka's Gallery in Setting the Stage, about his work and his mem- about his work and his memories of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Finally, we get some we get some information about the Sanctuary Campus Open House and all of the workshops and activities taking place on February 3rd. But first, here are the headlines. The Rensselaer County Legislature has approved a new registry for convicted drug dealers. Instead of the sex offender registry, it's tracked where convicted drug dealers in the county are living. Rensselaer County officials have issued a public safety advisory after a woman impersonating a county employee tried to enter a home in Sand Lake. The Times Union reports that Alizar Williams, who sparked widespread community protests when he was pro- paralyzed after being shot by a police officer during a, 2000, a 2018 foot pursuit, has been charged with felony weapons possessions. Williams allegedly gave an illegal handgun to a 14-year-old boy who then fatally shot himself, apparently by accident, while in Williams's home. Williams' lawsuit against the city over a shooting is scheduled for trial later this year. The Mohawk Hudson Humane Society is urging those who are fostering animals or recently adopted pets from Empathy Animal Rescue and Colony to take their animals to a veterinarian because many of the animals seized from the operation last week have health conditions contagious to both animals and humans. With the Schenectady School Superintendent departing in May, the Gazette reports that the school board met recently to debate an in- an internal versus external search for this replacement. The board president was one favoring an internal replacement, but a decision has not been made. One concern expressed is that this will be the fourth superintendent in Schenectady in four years, which may make it less attractive for an outside person. The town's senior building inspector was removed Wednesday as a member of of the Rotterdam Board of Ethics less than a month after being appointed to the role due to a shoplifting allegation. The U.S. Justice Department on Friday has reached an agreement with the New York governor's office on sexual harassment claims against former Governor Cuomo. The department found that Cuomo had subjected at least 13 female employees to a sexually hostile work environment. The agreement formalizes some reforms already initiated by Governor uh, Hochul, but also adds additional steps. A jury awarded $83.3 million to E. Jean Carroll in her, defam- in her defamation trial against Donald Trump on Friday. The Manhattan federal court decision comes less than one year after Carol won $5 million in her sexual abuse and defamation trial against the, for- the ex-president. The sum stems from Carol's rape claim against the former president in a June 2019 New York Magazine article. That is it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad, grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. 
To learn how you could contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. The New York Immigration Coalition rallied for a package of immigration immigrant rights bills at the state capitol on Tuesday, January 23rd. Mark Dunley was there to report. The New York Immigration Coalition rallied at the state capitol on Tuesday, January 23rd. Their agenda included the Access Representation Act for Legal Counsel for Immigrants, Invest in Language Translators, Expansion of the New York Housing Access Voucher Program, the Work and Families Tax Credit, and to prevent local governments from collaboration with federal immigration officials. We heard from Murad Awade, uh, head of the coalition, Senator Andrew Ganadas, lead sponsor of two of the bills, and Sierra Claft of ICARE, the Immigrant Children Advocates Relief Effort. We also hear from three immigrants uh, through their interpreters, including one with the Columbia County Sanctuary Movement. My name is Murad Awada, and I'm so pleased to be here with you all, with the New York Immigration Coalition and our fierce members from across the state of New York. Together, we are here to call on our governor and the state legislator to ensure that we create and work on an inclusive budget that allows for all New Yorkers to thrive here in the state of New York and does not exclude our communities. Last year's state legislative session failed to pass critical bills that would have advanced immigrant protections and rights in the state of New York. Albany did not deliver on a number of different needs that our communities were looking for their leadership on. The state and its leadership must recognize the need for comprehensive solutions that uplift and support all New Yorkers. This is especially true and critical when anti-immigrant rhetoric and the scapegoating of newly arrived asylum seekers continues to fuel division. During this program, you're going to hear from our elected champions. You're going to hear from impacted individuals. You're going to hear from immigrant New Yorkers fighting for all of New York. You're gonna hear people talk about the Access to Representation Act that will ensure that individuals facing deportation have access to legal representation. At the end of the day, it creates equity in our court system. In addition to that, you're gonna hear about expanding language access, meaning that all New Yorkers, no matter what language they speak, can have access to crucial and oftentimes life-saving information from the state agencies and languages they understand. Passing the Housing Access Voucher Program, which will provide rental assistance to our neighbors across the state of New York, those who are at risk of being unhoused and those who are unhoused. We'll also be fighting for passing the New York For All Act, a bill that is that we are no strangers to since we have been fighting for it for the past five years here in the state to ensure that all families can remain together in the state of New York. Lastly, we are going to discuss the Working Families Tax Credit, which is a tax credit that is intended to give working families their credit. Immigrants remain integral to the vibrancy of New York. Now is the time for leadership to champion the collective effort that will build a better future for everyone. Senator Andrew Gonardis, who's going to speak briefly about the New York for All Act, 
as well as the Working Families Tax Credit. I, I say that because I am the grandson and great-grandson of Greek immigrants, fourth generation here in New York. Their story is my story, is your story, is the story of so many New Yorkers across this state. Uh, I'm incredibly proud that I carry two of the bills in this package. Murad highlighted them and I spoke about them briefly. Number one, we want to talk about family stability in the state of New York and to let immigrant families know that they can go about their daily lives, go to school, go to work, go, go to the park, go to the library, go anywhere without be, living in fear that just by going into a government office, just by going into their child's school for a parent-teacher conference, that they are not going to be at risk of deportation because local governments are colluding and conspiring with immigration authorities to detain people without a warrant. That has to stop. That's what New York for All would do once and for all. And while we give families that security and that stability, we also know how incredibly important it is to stabilize families' well-being by giving them the financial and economic stability that so many families are blessed to have, but not enough families are blessed to have. And that is why we have to pass the Working Families Tax Credit, which would expand New York's existing child tax credit, combine it with the Earned Income Tax Credit, and increase the value so that families from Buffalo to Brooklyn and Brookhaven and everywhere in between could get the money they need. This will help us lift hundreds of thousands of children out of poverty here in New York. Good morning, my name is Sarah Santiago. I'm a member of Carini Immigrant Services. As an immigrant mother, I know how difficult it is to access a good quality of life in New York. Rent prices are very high, immigrant job payments are low, food is more expensive every day. That is why I ask and demand all politicians to support the Working Family Tax Credit so that we can have a quality of life. Families in New York deserve to be able to have a life free of constant worry. And we immigrants, we pay taxes. We do, right? <laughs> During the pandemic, I was not able to access financial relief because it was very confusing and difficult to understand. The Family Tax Credit will help access resources we currently do not have and help me and my family to, do, to be better off. Thank you. Good afternoon, my name is Sierra Kraft and I'm the executive director at the iCare Coalition. We're a coalition of legal service providers and advocates that provide free legal representation to unaccompanied immigrant children facing deportation in New York City while fighting for universal access to counsel. So imagine the journey of these children escaping extreme violence and trauma in their home country in search of safety, protection, and a new life in New York City. But when crossing the border, they're thrust into a complex and costly immigration system that's designed for adults. Shockingly, these children aren't guaranteed the right to an attorney in immigration proceedings. And studies show that without a trained lawyer by their side, they have a mere 15% chance of winning their immigration cases, which often results in rapid deportation back to countries where their lives are at risk. And New York continues to be rank the fourth highest in the nation for unaccompanied arrivals released to sponsors. So every year, thousands of young New Yorkers are placed in removal proceedings, facing deportation without due process if they cannot find or afford an attorney. And I recently stood witness at the juvenile docket in New York City, and there a two-year-old, a two-year-old was expected to find their own attorney. This is unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable reality that contradicts the values of our state and our country. Immigrant children are forced to navigate the system alone and they deserve better. 
With the support of attorneys, children are more than 90% likely to succeed in their immigration cases. And today, we're urgently calling on our state officials to pass the ARA, prioritizing vulnerable minors in New York. The ARA isn't just crucial, it's a lifeline. It provides young immigrants the chance not just to survive, but to pursue higher education, uh, careers, and start a new life in this country, and a state that they now call home. And this is more than just a cause, it's a testament to our values. So let's stand in solidarity with these children and adults seeking safety and protection, and no child should have to face this immigration system alone. My name is Ignacio Nefre, I am a farm worker in the Finger Lakes region of New York. In the over 30 years that I have lived in the region, I have seen how the lack of language access has impacted my family and my community. Coming from a rural region, we have limited resources as it is, as it is and even less when it comes to resources in other languages. Many of the services like the DMV, health clinics, and the courts don't have interpreters for other languages, and many times I and others have asked for interpretation and the DMV will not even be aware of how to provide it. Often our children and neighbors are the ones that are supporting us with interpretation, but that is often unpaid. Having language access isn't just about being uh, able to access services, it is also vital in being able to advocate for ourselves and ensuring that our rights and dignity as humans are protected. Everyone, my name is Oridian. I'm with the organization Columbia County Sanctuary Movement, and I'm interpreting for our wonderful member, Ayansle. I am from Cuba, Havana, born in Camagüey, and I am a member of Columbia County Sanctuary Movement, CCSM. I'm here to support the Access to Representation Act. I have been in this country for more than a year. In my experience, when it came to obtaining legal services as an immigrant, was a little difficult because I lacked resources. But thanks to the organization Columbia County Sanctuary Movement and Prisoner Legal Services, I've been able to conduct my political process in the United States effectively, for which I am very grateful. Yes to the Access to Representation Act. This has been Mark Dunlay for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. That was Mark Dun. That was Mark Dunley's coverage of the Immigration Rights Rally on January 23rd. To hear more of Mark's stories and to hear part one of other policies, go to mediasanctuary.org. This next piece is a heavy story about a family from a local community member. Lavender takes it from here. This is HMM correspondent Lavender. My pronouns are she, her, or hers. And it has come to our attention that one of our community members has suffered a family tragedy. He joins me now. Welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Hi, thank you. My name is uh, Juan Pontelion, and uh, thank you for letting me use this platform to get this message out. It's very important. Uh, I'd like today to tell you about Bernardo Pontelion. He was my cousin. He was an openly proud gay man, a member of the LGBTQ community, who was targeted, tortured, murdered, mutilated, and then after the fact, they sent pictures to every single member of my family. This happened in Phoenix, Arizona, not but two months ago. 2023, going on 2024, members of the LGBTQ community are still being targeted through hate crimes. The reason you're hearing about this here in the Capital Region is because Maricopa County is refusing to charge with a hate crime. Now, hate crimes in Arizona are a lot like pepperoni on pizza, where they're added on after the fact. So what me and my family are doing is we are putting out a 
a petition to help reform hate crime laws in Arizona. We demand that these men targeted, who targeted my cousin be charged with a hate crime and that they are persecuted to the maximum extent of the law. Wow. Uh, first, I, I want to say I'm, I'm so sorry that this happened to you and your family. So, Juan, were you close with your cousin? Absolutely. There's a term that exists within the Mexican culture called primo hermano, which just means, I mean, mm. if you say that in English, it means brother cousin. It's, it means that he was, he was more than a cousin. We, we, we grew up together. I mean, me and my three cousins, we were the first people he ever came out to. And we were all sitting there. We got emotional. And he said, guys, I want to tell you something. And we said, what, man? He took a moment. He said, I'm gay. And we said, and? We know... <laughs> No crap, Trish Stratus. Like, we know. <laughs> like, we know. We've always known. And he just, like, we felt this weight come off to him. And after the next couple of years, we just watched him come out of his shell. We watched him We watched him dress the way he wanted to dress and style the way he wanted to style, act the way he wanted to act. And, and the, the, the right. family was, was accepting of it. And, and, and we were proud of him for living his truth. But like I said, unfortunately, we know that that is the thing that got him killed. You also talk about being a Mexican family and coming from this big family. I can relate to that. I'm the daughter of a Jamaican immigrant no. and I also have a huge family. And uh, can you talk a little bit about how that is related to this incident and how that's impacted the whole situation? A lot of my family, um, especially his, uh, his three younger siblings who this is falling on right now, they spent most of their life coming back and forth between Mexico and the United States to where their education was halfway in between and they don't really comprehend a lot of what's going on. They can't understand a lot of the words that they're using. So it's fallen a lot on me and my one other cousin, Gazdelli, to really do a lot of the translation, to really a lot of this, explain a lot of this into layman's terms. And, and some of this, we, we're, we're still like, like trying to learn like, like court terminology and, and, but it's fallen a lot on our shoulders and, that adds on to the fact of being afraid to speak up because a lot of my family is still in the immigration process. They're going about it the legal way, but if they do anything to disrupt that, they could be targeted, they could be, they could be deported, and, and that's something that they're you know, very afraid of going through with this. My grandmother, who was... Bernardo was my grandmother's primary caregiver. He made sure he had, she had her medication... He made sure that, that she was taken care of every day. And now she, we're having to split up and, and, and the care between the aunts and, and, and a couple of the nieces, and that's fine. But she was most comfortable with Bernie. And now she's going without him. And he was a, a rock to a lot of the people in our family. He was a dreamer. He was here on dreamer status. He came here at uh, one years old. With his dad came here to try to find a better life. And they did. Uh, when he was about 14, my aunt and my uncle, they were uh, taken and deported. And so he had to drop out of high school in order to help raise his three younger siblings. He then became the primary caregiver to my grandmother. And he gave up a lot of his life to, to take care of them. And then as soon as he started living his own life, it got snuffed out way too quick. And we never got to see him in his, his final form of who he was truly destined to become.
I think the only thing really, because homophobia exists everywhere, everywhere. It's crazy. And, and the only difference between New York and states like Arizona is we have hate crime laws and we use them. They're so important because of that. You have a petition going and, you know, for people who are not up in the government making these policies, what what can we do? Can you talk more about this petition? Yeah, no, we're, we're a simple petition just trying to reform hate crime laws in Arizona, trying to make it an actual law instead of an add-on. It's an aggravating charge is what the hate crime there is, which is how... So many crimes get brushed under the rug because they, they don't submit the evidence, such as the evidence where these guys went online and said gays aren't welcome in the north side after the fact. And when the police interviewed them, they interviewed the main guy who murdered my cousin. He said, oh, yeah, he tried to uh, he tried to make a pass at me. So I killed him. They openly admitted that they killed him because he was gay, and yet we're being told that that is... The, the detective told me. I talked to the detective because I was listed as next of kin so that I can do a lot of the translation and everything. And I said, man, we need this hate crime charge. And he said, ah, you're preaching to the choir because I've told them that, and I, we just don't think it's going to be enough. It's not enough that they admitted it. It's not enough that they went online and bragged about it. So when is it going to be enough? Do you feel that this should be escalated to a federal issue? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the Matthew Shepard law exists. And if we can get this to a federal issue, they can invoke the Matthew Shepard Act. And these guys can truly be charged with the crime that they deserve to be charged with. Here in the capital region and all around the country, these things are happening. Not too long ago, well, but two years ago, the Tulip Queen here in Albany was uh, got death threats just for being a proud member of the LGBTQ community and winning a flower title. Not too long ago in Brooklyn, here in New York, a man was stabbed outside of a gas station for dancing to Beyonce. Homophobia is a huge problem still in the United States, still in 2024. One thing to mention is I'm a bisexual woman uh, and I recently married a woman. Uh, so I stepped up to do this interview. Thank you. Uh, so I stepped up to do this interview because I know you wanted to have this conversation with another member of the LGBTQ plus community. Why was that important to you? You understand. You know. You know exactly how, how many members of the LGBTQ community, what you guys are going through. And the rest of us, we knew too, but we didn't know how serious it was. I want to apologize because this is until it hit my doorstep. I didn't really bring much attention to it. But all you got to do is do a quick Google and you can see this stuff happens every single day. You mentioned that it didn't really hit you, this issue, until your cousin was targeted. And um, I feel like I hear that a lot uh, with allies, but it doesn't really hit them. Like it doesn't, they don't see the issue until it is directly related to them. How can we make it a, like a you problem if, if it's not directly a you problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't even give it much thought until it affected me directly. And then I do the research and I realize this is happening everywhere. But this isn't just happening to members of our family. These people who are being targeted are our doctors and our nurses and our first responders and our grocery store clerks 
and our neighbors and our friends. There are so many people right now with everything that happened, they're just being scared back into the closet because of this. So what we need to do is we need to show them that it's safe out there, that we're going to fight for them, that we're going to be able to stand up for them. How do we do that? We push these stories. We push these stories. Um, so in, in, as we're closing out, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to mention, or is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, I just wanted to say that uh, if you are a member of the LGBTQ community, or if you have a family member or a, or a friend or a neighbor that is, please speak up for them because nobody else is and they are scared and we need to show them that they are they, they don't need to be scared and that we are here for them please do something bernardo was just proud out living himself he just wanted to be a bad bee and, and do his lashes and do his nails he just wanted to live his life and he was killed for that the petition that was mentioned is on change.org under the name Demand, Demand Justice or Bernardo Pantaleon and Reform Hate Crimes Laws Reform Hate Crime Laws in Arizona. You can connect with Juan on social media at Johnny Pants underscore. That is J-O-H-N-N-Y-P-A-N-T-Z underscore. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Jacob Boston. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Choi, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Choi, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, streaming and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Choi, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by sharing our content. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Carl Sprague's Setting the Stage is an exhibition of his 40-plus years of work as an art director, concept illustrator, scenic designer, and more at the Opalka Gallery. In this story, Andrea Cunliffe sits down with Carl to talk about his life and career, where he, he also gives insight into the world and work of production design. Carl Sprague is a concept illustrator and scenic design artist, known for his work in feature films and theater productions. Once again, the Opaca Gallery has embraced another art form by the exhibit Setting the Stage, and this featuring the work of Carl Sprague. He has worked in the art department of more than 40 feature films and television projects as either an art director, production designer, or concept illustrator. More than 35 of these films have received Academy Award nominations, including La La Land, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and 12 Years a Slave. I spoke with him at the Alpaca Gallery and asked him about his career. Um, you know, I have a question yeah. about how you design, like how you come up with the idea. Well, this um, is illustrative. Okay, so, I mean, like, a la land, for example, here. They wanted me to do, like, roughs, you know, just like sort of concept ideas, you know. And so one day, one evening, there were just these little, like, throwaway watercolor sketches. I mean, you see, I didn't even bother putting them on more than, you know, I put them all on one piece of paper. You know, but they liked some of this stuff. And then you go from that sort of rough stage 
which is inspired by whatever it can be. Maybe there's a storyboard that's been done or or there's obviously references and um, do they know, come the to you with a with a project like a storyboard project or sometimes. do they just say read the script and tell me what you think? Uh-huh. Sometimes it's just the script. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and it gives you sort of a free hand at like imagining and Yeah, no, there's the definitely different levels of control and input and you know, it varies completely from project to project and from director to director. Um, so when is it comes to you with particular thoughts or ideas in his mind when he comes well, to you, you know, for I, a film? Well, you know, I mean, I find the designer, it's the director that is hiring me. It's one of their choices that they get to make. Obviously, part of that process is having ideas together and presenting concepts and and working things up and hearing what somebody wants to do what they're interested in what inspires them and then do you take it further from there be a process between your initial ideas mm-hmm. and and what comes up in the end yeah well this starts with scribbles and then you know and then you work the scribbles up and and they become less scribbly this is know. so detailed this know. is all um, part of uh, French dispatch Oh, yes. That was a strange film. It is an interesting one. I know. There were some scenes there that I could barely understand myself. Um, I'm so relieved. Uh, Even while I was working on it. But, like, see here, and this is like a, you know, a rough, this is like this very complicated set, but, you know, the big, we built this thing, amazingly enough. um, They uh, they built it almost identical to that, no? Well, that's why I do a drawing. (laughs) <laughs> and so the uh, but like that's a like a rough version of it, and then this is a little bit less rough, and then it went through various iterations, and we added more stuff, and you know, uh, yeah, we started though here. I mean, this is inspired by a Jacques Tati movie, Mon Oncle. The storyboard artist took off from that and did this like thing, but you know, but you can't hand this to the carpenters and say build this right. what do you do then you hand something else you get someone this is else. where i come in and like fill in fill in the blanks and get into scale and figure out the details so who does somebody draw up all the design plans or is me. that you you yeah wow i mean not just me but no no i'm just sometimes saying we, you know sometimes i'm a part of a big art department french dispatch we had like you know six or seven other art directors sometimes i'm a one-man show little movies you know i'll do everything but but something like this all those particular details on that was just i mean that's the thing that just blew me away when i'm watching these films again mm-hmm. thank you yeah uh and i went the detail yeah the feeling the emotion is yeah, in we, the picture no, we, we we get it we get into it there's no question but you've traveled abroad and you've seen these types of buildings oh yeah no i've been very fortunate I've spent a lot of time in france and in other places in europe that's very informative, you know, been around all kinds of places. Well, you get the feeling I even got to there. I even got to go to Shanghai. Mrs. Prada sent me to Shanghai oh, dear. to design a party. Ooh. That was really fun. So it's not simply film, ballet, oh, and theater. Events it's sometimes. events. Yeah, or advertising. The phone just has to ring. I seldom say no um, to anything. So we had this, like, Storyboard, which you know, just which tells you plenty. There's a, he's a wonderful storyboard artist, but you know, I mean, then I'm trying to work out like, what are we really building? You know, here's like angle of camera, and right. you know, how do we fit in the fence, and where's the car, and what do these houses look like, and then 
are we going to build them, and where are they going to be, and um, so it's and like three-dimensional engineering. Absolutely, yes, yeah. So you need to know where the cameras are, where the lights are. You make those decisions. I'm working to figure out what, with the information that I get, which in some cases is very detailed, in some cases is not. You know, and sometimes. Depending on the film, it's like you know you're creating an environment, and there's maybe no storyboards, but they've got like a shot list, and they they want to get certain angles, and there's certain things that are important. So you know sometimes I'll sketch out some things so we can figure that out, and then you know, but then sometimes you're just creating a 360 degree environment so that the film crew can get there and make it up on the day. Do you, you know? do locations ever? All the time. Some movies are all location.、Um, Royal Tenenbaums was、um, we shot everything on location. There were two hundred sets, and every set was a location that we did something to. So we built a lot, painted a lot, and did all kinds of graphic interventions and and signs and set decorating. Yeah, yeah.、This、these are all the like a few bits that I have left from that. Um, but this is—I kind of got started doing these like concepts, ideas because I was the art director on that.、It、wasn't really my job, but no one else was doing it, so I had to work out like some of these little sets. And it seems to me that what you do is a lot to do with history, architecture. Oh yeah, beauty. Yeah, you have to know it. You know, I mean, that's the thing. But and, I and mean, also, that's not something also, you go to school and learn. You no, know, you life is it, and and that's the wonderful thing about this job is that,、um, you know, sometimes I get thrown into situations where you know the script is a world I'm not familiar with, and I have to, you know, figure out all about that. You know, I was working on a project that was for a TV show that was.、Um, It was all about these rock and roll tour buses. I'd never been on a rock and roll tour bus ever. Suddenly, I'm supposed to design like four of them. That was that was a, 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 these, these, these learning curves, you yeah, know. Well, yeah. Well, there was a futuristic film you worked on as well, no? Uh, was well, it Jennifer Lawrence was in it. Something. Oh God, you know that's an interesting one because we did that movie. It was called Passengers, and. I went to Germany for that. Also, we spent months getting ready.、Uh, you know, all these all these sets and、um, ideas, and we were building it in the honest to God the soundstage in Potsdam, where the、uh, where Fritz Lang built the sets for Metropolis. Oh, cool! Yeah, so that was kind of an amazing thing. Anyway, we're like going along. We're building a three-story set, framing it all out of steel, and you know it's a big deal. And we've got this spaceship, and we've figured it all out. And then the producers call us into the office and say, you know, we've had a casting problem.、Um, I think it was actually the character that Jennifer Lawrence ended up replacing. And anyway, we're pulling the plug, and we're sending you all home right now. And that was that. So I mean, I was sort of. Depressed by that, and,、uh, but the、um, the story with that was though you know about a year later, I'm talking to a friend of mine who does this sort of work also, and I said, well, what are you working on, Jeff? And, and he says,、ah, I'm working on this thing called Passengers. And I said, I designed this already. You know, I mean, what are you doing? We did it.、Um, and、uh, he said, now they, you know, you know we, we, you, they. they They started from scratch. I mean, of course, it's quite similar in a lot of ways to what we had invented,、oh. but it's not 
ours. I mean, I said, look, I can share with you the Dropbox link and you can like just to have all our drawings. Nah, nah, we're doing slick. You did cute. We're doing slick. And I said, I can't do anything but cute. And, and he said, we can't do anything but slick. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I know, it was funny. So you must tell me, how does, how does somebody me, find themselves in this career today? Oh, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, well, I'm teaching a class over at Boston University, which is called production design, I guess. You know, um, I had a very erratic education, but I was able to get a few. Uh, there, was some, there was some good things that came across along the way, wonderful teachers and so forth at uh, NYU and the long defunct Polikoff studio. And, and even at Harvard, there were, there were some opportunities. Um, but you didn't consider yourself an artist at all? No, I still kind of really don't. But what is it then? You are a storyteller. Yeah, no, but I'm a journeyman. I'm, I'm an illustrator. You know, sometimes I'm a designer, an architect. You know, more and more I've, like, you know, get into color and painting and stuff. And, you know, sometimes, you know, especially if you're getting into, like, the world of, like, these big, you know, theater backdrops and ballet and so forth. I mean, you have to be brave enough to do it. Um, so what do you like doing best, theater or film? Or is it all wonderful? Um, I like work. It's, it's fine. You know, I mean, I don't know. Someone was calling me about the uh, ideas for the exosphere in uh, Las Vegas. It's a gigantic three, you know, whatever, 30-story tall golf ball in the middle of Las Vegas covered with video screens. Now they have to figure out what they're going to put on it and in it, I suppose. But that doesn't seem to have translated into a job yet. <laughs> it's going to be work for a lot of people, I'm sure. I don't know, I did a, a, a very funny commercial that was for a kind of internet release, a 15 second spot for a, um, it was for, uh, for, for condoms. Oh, really? Yes, oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They were shooting in, um, in, oh, in Belgrade, of all places. Oh, Never even went to Belgrade. It just, I just sent them drawings. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's all kinds of things, you know. And Mrs. Prada and her party. So yeah. what advice do you have for somebody who wants to make a life in the theater but not necessarily wants to be a performer? I do you mean, think it's worth it? Oh, it depends. I mean, you know, people make quite remarkable careers, and some even make money. You have to be able to have a portfolio of some kind, be able to show kind of what you can do. And then you also, most importantly, you have to know who might hire you, might give you a job. So in my case, that's directors or sometimes producers. You know, sometimes I work for, you know, other designers. I've done a lot of that. And um, definitely about connection and making sure that you know who, who people are and that they somehow know who you are. It's a good, fun life, though. Yeah. Oh, it can be very entertaining. It can also be really <laughs> sort of nerve-wracking. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, of course. Sometimes having a job is worse than not having The Grand Budapest Hotel is based on his conceptual renderings. Here Carl speaks about one of his most memorable experiences on the set of the Grand Budapest Hotel. It was this magnificent thing with this huge 
six-story atrium with an enormous, like, 100-foot stained glass skylight. And hilariously, our offices for the art department and the uh, vast costumes department were up on the sixth floor. And you had to walk up through, basically through the set, up this grand staircase and the whole business every morning and whenever I went out to lunch or whatever. You know, I never get to work on the set, you know. And so that was, uh, that was a pretty fabulous experience. Great place. Did you not make an appearance? Huh? Oh, in the film? Yeah. Briefly. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the will reading scene. Ah. I have a non-speaking role. <laughs> I know Wes asked to cast me, and that ended up being a whole to-do. There were like three, two, two days that I had to be on set, or maybe it was even more, and then I was going in for fittings and having them fit me with a mustache. And it was supposed to be like this one, two, three thing. There was like, you know, the old guy says, where's Claire? The young guy says, she's dead. We're, we're reading the will. At which point I am supposed to, like, explode with laughter into a glass of champagne. <laughs> so I've been wandering around, you know, with this, with this glass of apple cider uh, for days, practicing, you know, snort takes. Uh, and, but being Wes, you know, he framed it up. He framed it up so we were all in the same frame. Right. And he wanted, like, this, like, Marx Brothers timing, one, two, three... He usually does not do that many takes, but I think we did like over 40 takes of this particular scene because we could none of us ever, like we each did our own bit fine, but we could never hit our marks just exactly right. So I had the privilege of screwing up a scene with, uh, <laughs> with uh, you know, let me see, Ray Fiennes, yeah. uh, uh, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, people. Well, they happily had gone, they had gone home by that time. We were the last thing on the, of the day. But, 40 uh, takes, oh my God. Did you say the costume designer designed the costume? Oh, yeah, 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 no. So that was, the, that was the whole story. It was very funny. So Milena Cananera, who has more Oscars than she can dust, she designed the costumes for Barry Lyndon. That was her first Oscar. She's gone on and like, gotten several more. Anyway, she's absolutely astonishing, an amazing person to work with. And, and somehow, I, I don't know, it was like kind, of a, like a, kind of a back and forth between the art department. Her office was just down the hall. She was working so hard, I couldn't believe it. I was designing all those little uh, concierge desks. Oh, yes, yes. The color-coded, yes. and like each concierge had, like, you know, so I got to choose what color each one of those concierges were. Generally, Wes takes care of all color decisions, but in this case, I said, oh, this one's green, this one's red, this one's... So, uh, so she made them all fancy suits, and, and I have a shot somewhere of me and the uh, concierge bellboys, who were these, like, little 12-year-olds in, like, their color-coded oh, so bellboy outfits. It was really a great moment. She put me in, like, I went and got fitted and I was a nice 1930s suit and so forth. And, and I have a portrait of my great-grandfather, who was a banker down in Slovenia. And it's a magnificent portrait. And he's got a top hat and a fur coat and a cutaway and, you know, cane and everything and a mustache. And, and I, I actually printed out a picture, a copy of it, and of this portrait I have. And... Uh, went to Elena afterwards, and I said, you know, after she sorted me out, she would take a look, I said, 
And I said, look, Milena, you made me into my great-grandfather. And, oh, but a cutaway. We must put you in a cutaway. So she sent me back to the rather annoyed wardrobe supervisor who was like, oh, God, we thought we'd done with him. You know, it was like hundreds of extras in that scene and that oh, whole yeah. movie. So we're just making work. You know, anyway, so we're that was quite fun. a, it was, it was, that was, it was, it was a great moment. Well, the art department yeah. was very annoyed with me because I was like not working those days. I was stuck on you set. You were being glamorous. In a freezing, cold, hundred-year-old German social hall. It was absolutely terrifying. This has been Andrea Kanla for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, speaking with Carl Sprague at the Opalka Gallery about his remarkable career as a designer, which spanned small, independent, and big-budget studio projects for some of Hollywood's most revered directors. Carl Sprague, setting the stage as an exhibition beginning January 24th, running into February 24th. And we, that was the second part. We also heard it from Carl Sprague yesterday. And for our Friday listeners, there is a puppet show on Saturday at the Opalco Gallery. And um, for those who are listening on Monday, our pre- all the segments from Andrea Cunliffe are on our website, mediasanctuary.org. The Sanctuary is hope- hosting an open house on Saturday, February 3rd. I'm going to be there. Cena's going to be there. Marshall's going to be there. It's a star-studded cast. We got you some more information about the event right now. Here on Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we have been sharing a lot of past intern radio stories as a way to showcase some of the work that interns and volunteers can do with Hudson Mohawk Magazine. And I'm now joined by Marshall Hildreth, who is our volunteer coordinator, to talk about some wider opportunities to get um, volunteers and interns involved as we're like just beginning this semester for the spring. What are you seeing? Who's around here? Well, hello, hello. Glad to be back. Um, I'm seeing a lot of new faces, which I greatly enjoy. Mm -hmm. A lot of interested college students, um, a lot of potential within the local school districts as well, which is very exciting. Uh, I think the sanctuary has so much to offer for so many groups of different people uh, that I'm really hoping this upcoming open house February 3rd from 11 to 2, (laughs) it uh, will be like a very fun, just low bar entry level, like great way to learn about the sanctuary and maybe hopefully enlighten some people on our initiatives and programming. So we have a few interns who've already begun, but it's not too late is what you're saying. Yes, yes. Never too late. Uh, At least in my book, uh, we still have so many different opportunities. Even if you're looking to work alongside these interns or do your own thing, there's so many different individual projects, small tasks, uh, things that complement your major minor. Uh, If you're looking for credit, if you're just looking for professional experience, we got it all. And so what, why should somebody attend this open house? Honestly, I think the question should be, why not, right? I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think uh, we offer everything. We have our nature lab, which will be focusing on our air justice lab and water justice lab uh, and our STEAM or STEM club. So if you're into the sciences and want to kind of experiment with merging that with some artistic experiences or our artistic ethos, then I think that's a great opportunity. I know we will be having a sanctuary radio table if you want to talk about that quickly. 
Well, yes, we will have some of our many producers, and we will also be having a workshop called The Art of the Interview. And we have such an array of talented people. Um, And so our Art of the Interview workshop will be taking place at the same time as the video workshop. Yes, so Sanctuary TV uh, will be there and they will be filming and get some uh, live action, would you say, experience or or live event experience? Yeah, I'll just uh, interject that that was how I became involved as an intern, being a documentary studies student from UAlbany. And so I was one of those people overseeing one of the three cameras during a live program. And so this is like a little training so that Many people, all ages, this is not just school age credit people, anybody who's interested in jumping on one of these cameras. And we have uh, our season schedule, much of it up on our our website, if not all of it. Yes. That's a great time. Mediasanctuary.org. Yeah. And I think that is a really cool opportunity. Again, I want to preface that this is very low bar, very low key, uh, no pressure. Uh, If you step over our threshold, you're not committing to anything. Uh, Just learn what works for you or what interests you. You know what I like about this is I find people often get involved in the sanctuary in one department. It's like Mm -hmm. they're interested in community health. So they go to people's health sanctuary. They're interested in our events or music. And so that's how they associate with the sanctuary. So this is a great time to come and be like, oh, you're air monitoring with Air Justice Lab? I had no idea. That actually intersections with my interests here. And so this is an opportunity to see our health and our sciences and our arts and our media and all of it in one space. Oh, and uh, there will also be campus tours, right, Marshall? There will be. So if you've ever needed or wanted an excuse to come on down, explore spaces, this is the perfect opportunity. We will be having two campus tours, one at 1115 and one at 1245. Uh, So ask away. Any and all questions are welcome. Even if you've just been curious, what the heck is that building on 6th Avenue? Uh, We would love to show you. Also, even if you just want an excuse to get in the mood for spring, we're having a seed swap with Collard City Growers and Soul Fire Farms. And you don't have to bring seeds to take seeds. Exactly. Yes. So this is a very accessible way to get in the mood for spring. And the closer spring gets, the more that our programming and initiatives will, uh, bear with me here, blossom (laughs) (laughs) Uh, into North Central. uh, And hopefully you can be a part of that uh, blossoming. Yes, there will be a plant swap later this year. So we got to get those seeds yes. germinating. <laughs> oh, and uh, speaking of growing uh, and possibly growing food, uh, we will be having a kitchen sanctuary with our unofficial official head chef, Jonathan, uh, who will Jonathan be doing Sagal. a workshop. And possibly in Taba. Yes, and and Taba. So if you're just curious about what it takes to feed uh, volunteers, uh, a community, uh, what food prep looks like for an event, uh, or just want to like cook something delicious, Mm -hmm. we have everything at this event. It's going to be amazing. We were just playing an interview with Jonathan and Taba from like four years ago. And apparently a music group who came through here almost swept him into their tour and took him away from us. That's how good (laughs) his food is. Yes. So highly recommend. Uh, I can vouch for Jonathan's cooking. 
always look forward to it. And it's always a joy to see new faces in the kitchen during our uh, busy event schedule. And we mentioned that our season program is just about completely on our website. And so this isn't just getting involved in initiatives. So Marshall, what, how are you looking to work with volunteers for our programming season? I am always looking for volunteers to help out. Whether you have uh, technical expertise or not, wherever you fit in, I will find a place. We are always looking for friendly faces for our front of house, uh, a door person, a greeter. Uh, if you want to come on by and learn how to do camera work, uh, these events are great practice. Not all of them are concerts. Not all of them are sit-downs. So you get a variety of experiences. Also, again, Kitchen Sanctuary. We're looking for helping hands to help feed our awesome volunteer network and uh, the community that is always welcome through our doors. So uh, I will be sending out a call for volunteers via our email list. If you're not signed up, you can sign up, sign up on our website at mediasanctuary.org uh, or just reach out via Instagram, Facebook to us if you're ever interested in participating. Something that I loved that you said in the last interview you were here is emphasizing that volunteers can get involved for one single day. Mm -hmm. They can become a returning volunteer. They can come up with a project that they're overseeing and that becomes their long-term lasting imprint on our campus. So what a volunteer looks like can look very different from one person to the next. Yes, there's no uh, single definition in my mind for what a sanctuary volunteer is, who that might be, what they do. Uh, and we really want to emphasize that uh, a volunteer relationship with the sanctuary should be mutually beneficial. Uh, we want you to get something out of it just as much as we are. So whether you have an idea for a project, if you're interested in producing certain stories for HMM, if you just want to work in our archives and get archival experience, if you just want to come by and just have an excuse to come to an event, be a greeter, and then sit down and watch a, an awesome screening, we will find a place. Yeah. And as the season gets warmer, there will be more things to do outside. And it's just, I'm really excited about February 3rd because we can see from like the work that Dr. Emily Abuya is doing with mm -hmm. STEM and youth to Azrae working in Medicine Garden and uh, Collard City Growers and then radio and how different each thing is like storytelling and teaching and uh, Carolyn with the archive and I think sometimes people don't like you know a lot of these things feel slightly invisible or, or it's like not quite as present and so it's a great way to showcase the range yes. that takes yes. place here <laughs> there's an incredible range of talents I will say especially as someone who still feels very new to the sanctuary uh, getting to see all these creative minds and expertises in one room is going to be super exciting and hopefully impactful for those who stop by. Marshall Hildreth, we always appreciate having you on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Could you please remind us those dates and different ways? And for those who can't come to our open campus, what are the different ways to get in touch? I would love to. So February 3rd, 11 to 2 p.m. at the Sanctuary Main Space. If you don't know where that is, that is 33616 Ave right here in Troy. Uh, or if you can't come on by, please follow us at Media Sanctuary on Facebook and Instagram. 
uh, stay up to date with our upcoming spring schedule or share our events. Oh, yeah. We've got a great newsletter. Yes. That, that will really yes. keep up to date on, on what's going on. Yeah. Handy to have. Uh, and they always look so cool. I'm a little biased for the aesthetics. So even if you just want something pretty to look at, get And Marshall, one. if I want to tour from you but can't come on the open house, how, how do I get in touch with you? So you can email me directly at m-a-r-s-h-a-l-l at mediasanctuary.org. I would love to show you our spaces or discuss how you can get involved here. Uh, again, open house is not the only opportunity to get involved at the sanctuary. Thank you for coming by. Will you come by again, I hope? Always. I love HMM. I love practicing my NPR voice. <laughs> and I hope to be back on soon. Thank you, Sina. Thank you, Marshall. Once again, it's on February 3rd. It's always a good time just helping the community and having a good time with everyone there. Well, I but like meeting new people. They like kind of wander on in where an event can be sometimes a little daunting. So they just kind of like peek in. And kind of check things out. Yeah, there's always a, like, a couple people that are just like, that event, I remember them specifically. So it's always a good time, like I said. Come chill with us. You can meet us. Me, yes, meet the cast. Star-studded, like I said. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Jacob Boston. Our engineer is Sina Bazilahickey. We thank all our volunteers who made today's episode possible. I don't, Sina, can you tell me the volunteers? Well, it is a team effort. And so today we had contributions from Mark Dunley, Lavender, uh, Andrea, and and you. And me. You're welcome. <laughs> this program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. And we want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for watching, and we'll catch you next time.